it well to center field. Deion Sanders going back to the wall, and it is gone. Bo Jackson over. Now episode four, I believe, or episode five. I keep getting mixed up. We're just gonna say it's episode five, but we're gonna run with it. Okay, it's episode five, which is Empire Strikes Back. Greatest movie ever. Yeah, I mean, episode one, two, and three were doo doo. So that was not the greatest movie ever, and it's not even the best Star Wars movie ever. Uh, I was just oh, gonna, you're nuts. I was oh, just gonna say. I was just gonna say that you know everyone kind of rates that movie way higher than it should be. Return of the Jedi was better than Empire. No, it's not. Okay, I think it is. <laughs> Well, you're wrong, but... <laughs> Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks wasn't in Return of the Jedi. We got off track, so back to the... Uh... <laughs> That's on track for us. Yeah. Back to the show. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we're getting into things. It's week two now of Corona and more and more people being sequestered, but it hasn't really affected sports too much because it was all suspended the last time we talked, so no real... Oh, actually, no, the Olympics uh, just got moved to 2021. Yes, sir. Yeah, the uh, Summer Olympics postponed. So that's too bad, I guess. I guess all these... I don't feel so much bad for, like, the basketball players and stuff, but, like, the swimmers and the runners who, like, they were really, like, primed to go, and now they got to wait a year. Yeah, that definitely stinks for them. You know, they only have a certain amount of uh, windows available to go ahead and broadcast their skills, and so this certainly stinks for them to kind of place it on hold or have to continue to train hard for another year. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, honestly, I think of the people who like just missed the Olympic cut and now they're they're pushed back another year too to when they can even showcase their skills and things like that. And and like you said, you know, the Olympics, your prime is kind of only one window because, you know, you've got four years in between each games. So it's just a shame that a lot of these specialized sports, like you mentioned, can't get out there and showcase their talent kind of when their bodies are trained to get out there. Again, hopefully it you know, they're not just going to cancel them straight out. I can't see that happening at all. But it will be odd to now, do they just move them totally to odd years? Or do they now, will they continue in the even year after this odd year? That I don't know. Do you guys know that answer? I, that may be, you know, something odd, but I'm not sure. I'm not even sure if they're thinking that far ahead. I think they're going to have to continue to play Corona probably day by day. You know, we're seeing organizations internationally and nationally make decisions sporting-wise about their events, and it's getting scary to see how much we're not seeing. Getting into the NFL news, I guess, things I have listed, I have Todd Gurley gets released by the Rams, which to me was shocking, and then signs a one-year $6 million deal with the Falcons right away, super cheap money, and I was just surprised the Rams gave up on him because it's a huge dead cap hit for them, right? It's not that surprising they gave up on him. It is a dead cap hit this year, but they had so much money invested into him that they had to get out of it. You know, they just couldn't sign guys they needed to sign to keep the club competitive, to be honest with you. You can't have that much money tied up in a player at running back, especially four over 60, you know, with 45 mil. I mean, that's a huge number. And the number where he got at six is honestly where I would have all of my running backs that I ever signed. I'd keep them in the six to eight range. You want to go get some more money? See you later. 
later go away, I'll, I'll get another player. But yeah, I mean, the release wasn't surprising. I mean, Atlanta got a great sign. I think he's going to really excel on that team. I think. I do agree. I believe the uh, writing seemed to be on the wall for Gurley in uh, the LA franchise. They were starting to use other backs. And I just remember back to the Patriots Rams Super Bowl recently. I don't think he got very much burn at all. So um, not as surprising. I think it's a very good signing for the Falcons and seeing their offseason so far, the NFC is getting very, very competitive. You know, you look at the Bucks, the Falcons, the Saints still, Seahawks, the 49ers. It's getting very, very competitive and it's going to be a very fun year. And we're just getting started on the NFL news. Melvin Gordon also signed a two-year deal, but I think it's similar money, like six or eight million with the Broncos. Yeah, a guy that, you know, had certainly fallen out of favor with the Chargers and he was looking for a home because we had talked about the running back there getting paid. And now, you know, obviously Melvin Gordon needed to find a home and the Broncos They seem to do really well with running backs. Thinking back to the days of uh, Shanahan, you know, they've done really well with running backs. So I think that possibly he'll do well there. You know, I don't think we'll we'll ever see him get back to his exciting highlight days, but a a new home, a a new fresh start for him. Yeah, I mean, I love the signing, honestly. I think it's a real good fit in Denver. I think they're going to really concentrate on running the football. You know, they've got a really good tandem now with Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay there. Those two are, I think, both top 15 backs in the league. Melvin Gordon's still only 26. He doesn't have a ton of wear on his on his tires. I think it was a great signing for Denver. I love it. His time was up in Sandy, or Los Angeles. You know, they committed to Austin Eckler, like Jesse had mentioned. And, I mean, you know, they get him for a base number of 7-9 and nine over the two seasons. And I mean, for running back again, that's kind of where you want to be. I like it really for both sides. 26 is much younger than I would have pegged him at too. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to tell you his age without looking it up. So, I mean, I do appreciate you bringing it up, Dan. And 26 is actually really young for running back when you consider he didn't play all the games with the Chargers that he could he could have. You know, he did sit out as uh, some ability still left in those legs for sure. Yeah, I think it was surprised to see him so cheap. And I'm, I'm wondering if his cheap contract, the girly one-year deal, if those are what I'd call the Le'Veon Bell effect, who Le'Veon Bell broke the bank and I think maybe ruined it for future running backs to break the bank. Well, yeah, I think I think they all did. I mean, you know, Todd Gurley was, was another one who did it. It's been shown you just can't pay these players that much money. You know, eventually I think Dallas is going to come into an issue with Zeke's contract. You just can't pay these running backs this kind of money because the one year you don't get the the 1300 yards it's a terrible contract so i i mean it's just rough you know it's just rough to see but that's just kind of where things are gonna have to be at i think and you know the cap will figure itself out but i think seven to ten is where i would become six to ten so i would be comfortable with my running back dan you had mentioned that you know it's going to be a tandem there with Lindsay and gordon now you're seeing a lot more teams go that route with you know multiple running back sets do you think that's going to be a, a bigger trend you know seeing teams utilize more backs and put less you know wear and tear on them so they can get more value out of them oh yeah of course i mean i think we've already seen like you mentioned like that's a pure trend now every team's doing that i mean even dallas is running tony pollard even guys that are pure workhorses are still getting you know outside of christian mccaffrey who we could talk about that situation separately but they're going to run him till he dies you know because he's still on his rookie deal if i was christian mccaffrey i wouldn't play another down of football for carolina personally but you just have to find guys to lengthen the time that you get maximum value out of them so if you can pair a guy like philip Lindsay with melvin gordon and you can split carries you're going to get prime player out of both of them that's obviously what a team wants and it's great i think it's a perfect strategy when implemented at the running back position yeah wayne bringing it more closer to home we got the patriots we got sony michelle who they recently put a first round pick into 
we don't see um, a, a lot of really good rushing stats coming from the Patriots and haven't for some time. Do you think they are not benefiting from going towards that trend? I think they have. I think what doesn't benefit them in the passing side of the or in the rushing side of the game is obviously having Tom Brady. Like you're going to see, I think Tampa Bay's rushing stats, which were already atrocious, are, are going to get worse. You know, yes, he does benefit from having a run game when you guys were always up there in like team yardage and things. But I just don't see like, you know, you're going to go out there and Tom Brady's going to throw the ball 35 times pretty much every game. The thing I didn't like about what New England did, if we're going to talk about New England specifically, is if Sony Michelle was in the game, it was usually a run play 70% of the time. If Deion Lewis is in the game, however, you know, they're probably going to throw the ball here. And I just don't like when things are that polarizing on offense. I think that kind of gives a tip to the defense and you don't need to give the defense any more help. Now, obviously, Deion Lewis was a mismatch nightmare and created a ton of havoc. And, you know, that's a big loss for New England that I'm sure we'll get to later. But every team wants to try to have a two running back system, but it's obviously tough to find two talented players. Well, I think New England really runs a three running back system because they've got Michelle, they've got Burkhead, and they've got White. Burkhead, I think, is that kind of middle between Michelle and White. Michelle's the running back, White's the receiving back, and then Burkhead kind of does both. So they just rotate them all, all three of them. And they, and they are one of the, the you know the fewer teams in the league that still utilize a fullback. I know that they had Heath Evans back in the day. They had who's the guy that the most recent guy they're moving on from Devlin. Yeah, Devlin. James Devlin. Yeah. And um, so they're they're moving on from him to uh, sign Vitale, who was the fullback for the Packers, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, they they've always seemed to utilize the fullback a bit more than other teams. I mean, I think the fullback slash H-back can be a really, you know, good mismatch when used properly. And Bill Belichick knows that. He also finds a guy who's going to block well. So, I mean, it just fits his scheme, I think. Bring it back to defense, Wayne. It looks like somebody who wanted out of Detroit finally got out of Detroit and uh, Darius Slay got traded to the Eagles. Yeah, I'm not a huge Darius Slay fan. And when I was looking through his stats, the passes defended, the interceptions, the tackles. He's not a great tackling corner from what I can see stat-wise anyways. He did have one really good year where he had eight interceptions, but I think recently you're looking at the guy gets two interceptions and eight or nine passes defended. So the trade doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is that Philadelphia gave him a big fat contract like he's Richard Sherman. I mean, yeah, I 100% agree. Darius Slay has been riding the coattails of that one season for, I think, quite a long time. And if you really go like kind of dissect his play and look at it and see, I don't think he's great at all. I, I take that back. He's he's a very good cornerback. He is not worth the money he signed for in Philadelphia. He's not worth, you know, being the number one paid cornerback in the entire league, in my opinion. You know, the third and the fifth, that's fine. I don't mind that. But I agree completely with you, Wayne. The contract that was given, considering his play the last two years, just doesn't make sense or add up. And I think Philadelphia panicked with how thin the cornerback market got at 22 I don't know if they were going to get Christian Fulton or C.J. Henderson, which after that, I think there's a big drop-off. I mean, I like Jeff Gladney and A.J. Terrell, but I mean, I don't think you want to go out and start the season with them when their cornerback play was as bad as it was. So I think they kind of panicked, but I, I mean, God, that's a ton of money to give, I think, what I think is kind of a 15 to 10 ranked corner, not a top 10 corner in the league. What was that AAV that he got? I think it was like 16, 15 or 16. So more so than what we saw Bradbury get and a guy like Byron Jones? In the same realm. In the same ballpark, okay. Yeah, it's it's just crazy numbers. The AAV is 16.6. I mean, that's crazy. Because I think uh, Jones is 16 and a half. Yeah. You know, and honestly, I think Jones has played more consistently playing for a bigger team than the Cowboys. But not to get, because I know we talked about Jones last week, but Jones is another one. Two interceptions, career. Career, two interceptions. I understand he has some passes defended, and I understand maybe guys don't throw to his side because he's there, but I think he's way overpaid as well. But did you watch the Combine, Wayne? <laughs> well, he, he wasn't at the Combine. 
Well, I mean, Byron Jones' combine, he was he went two banana sandwich. He's an athletic freak. Yeah, whatever. He is an athletic freak. Uh, and he, what he does well is he doesn't let you throw the ball to his side. Non the awesome one. That's why his numbers are going to be rather low. I mean, I think he's more of a lockdown player. But I do agree. I mean, I don't think 16.5 is – I think we talked about it last week. I think I called it a gross overpay also. And don't get me wrong, I love Byron Jones. But 16.5 at a quarterback, when you already have that money invested into Xavier Howard, is just foolish in my opinion. But it's the Dolphins, so – uh, Everson Griffin opts out of his contract with the Vikings, got an edge rusher on the market. Clowney's still the top guy, and he still hasn't been signed yet. So Griffin, I think, was supposed to make $10 million this year, and it seems like the trend for edge rushers are, is right around 15 16 Yeah, they certainly do get paid a lot of money. So he's a guy that I really liked on the Vikings defense. I thought that he was a really good fit for them. So I'm uh, curious to see where he goes and where he finds a fit. I know the defensive end is... Certainly a position that um, some players are waiting so far into the offseason to uh, find their best home. Like uh, Wayne had mentioned, we're waiting on Clowney to find a home and make a splash. Yeah, I mean, I think we touched on the Clowney situation a little bit last week. Plain and simple, he's asking for $20 million a year, and nobody wants to pay him that. And I don't think anybody's going to pay him that. I don't think anybody's going to budge. So we'll see what happens with that situation. He's going to have to come down from his number. Everson Griffin, I'm not so sure he gets to 15-16. I don't see him as that kind of player anymore. I know he's into his 30s. I think he's on the backside of his prime and his his playing window. So I don't necessarily see him getting that kind of money. I do think, you know, he'd be, he'd be a good fit with the Giants. I do think he'd be a good fit with the Seahawks as well. I just, I don't think they should give, you know, crazy money to him, but I think he'd be a good fit either organization. All right. And speaking of $16 million a year for edge rushers, Dante Fowler gets 3 and 48 from Atlanta. Yeah, going back to the Falcons on their uh, offseason, they're certainly opening up the wallet this year. Arthur Blank is writing out some checks. You know, we talked about Todd Gurley getting signed, and now we've got Dante Fowler getting signed on the defensive side. So uh, I really think that uh, this is a good signing for them. I like their defense. I believe they just released Vic Beasley. Is that correct? Can either of you two confirm Vic Beasley uh, being released by the team? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, they needed a, an impactful guy because Vic Beasley was that for some time, but not as consistently as they were hoping after they drafted him. So good signing if he ends up uh, being as impactful as I think we all hoped when he was coming out of college. Yeah, I mean, last year he had a real breakout season, you know, the 11 and a half sacks and was just kind of a, a staple of seeing him in the backfield. I don't know if I, I love him in Atlanta. We'll see. He's a real niche fit player to me, and I don't think I love him in a 4-3, but they run that 4-3 under, so it may work there. Outside of that, I mean, I think he's a great passer. She's only 25 still. He'll be 26 when the season starts, but I mean, the guy's still young, got a ton of talent. You know, he can obviously get to the quarterback, and, and that's a need. As a, a fan of somebody who plays in the NFC South and has to see Dante Fowler now twice a year, I'm not thrilled with that signing, but, you know, I, I think he's a great signing for Atlanta. Sticking with that, Dan, are the Falcons the biggest competition to your box? No, no, no. The Saints are still going to be an extremely hard team to beat. They're still very, very good, and I'm, we'll get to it, but the Emmanuel Sanders signing was, I think, just really one of the more underrated signings of this whole free agent period. That guy is going to be a nightmare in that offense with Michael Thomas, and I'm just... That was one of the worst. I mean, that one hit really hard. I did not want to see the him go there at all. Yeah, we're there. Wayne, how do you feel about Manuel Sanders going to uh, the Saints and playing with Drew Brees? Uh, I mean, it's they talked a couple of years ago about him before he went to the Broncos. They were like, well, could he go to New England and play with Tom Brady? And he's just a slot receiver. He's a very good slot receiver, but he's not somebody that scares me, I guess, if I'm a defense. 
Yeah, but in New Orleans offense, they need a dominant slot receiver. You put a dominant underneath slot receiver on that team and let Michael Thomas work the intermediate to deep routes like he does, I just think that's incredibly scary. I just think that's a really tough offense to defend now with Emmanuel Sanders being, I think, a premier slot receiver in the league. I, I remember, you know, when Emmanuel Sanders was playing for the Steelers and there were discussions about, you know, his exit there and could the Patriots end up jumping in. But that feels like forever ago. Honestly, it feels like forever ago that Tom Brady was a Patriot. But uh, no, I mean, uh, honestly, you know, Emmanuel Sanders, I don't know if he's as impactful as he was, you know, say five years ago, but he's still a guy that's going to provide Drew Brees with a veteran guy in the slot that's going to, you know, secure some great third down catches and probably put up some pretty large numbers there with uh, a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees. Next thing I have in here is Patriots release Steven Guskowski, which... Not super surprised given that his cap figure was like four and a half, four point eight million or something like that. The dead cap's only one point six and they're in cap hell. So I thought it made sense, especially since Folk kicked so well at the end of last year. Yeah, fun fact. I work with Steven Koskowski's brother for three years down here in Clearwater at a restaurant that I was a chef at. He would talk about Steve quite a bit and I was like, Man, that's kinda of funny. You know, your brother's a NFL kicker and here you are, you know, washing dishes. But outside of the personal fun facts, I mean, you know, kickers can't make five million a year. They just can't. You can find replacements for cheaper than that and they have. So it, it makes total fiscal business sense. Yeah, you know, he was a longtime Patriot. Kinda of crazy to see both him and Brady turn the page in the same off season, one by choice. One not. I think, you know, Patriot fans were kind of on the edge of their seat watching Gostowski towards the end of some games these last few seasons. So I'm not super upset moving on from a guy, especially after we saw him kick for one game, I believe. So it's about time we see a change there at the kicker position in New England. I do want to make sure that we bring up uh, Nelson Dropalot. I mean, Nelson Aguilar, he did sign um, with the Raiders, so they're going to be able to add him to Marcus Mariota and David Carr there, and he's going to be able to drop plenty of passes in Vegas. I like Nelson Aguilar. I think he's a solid talent. I liked him when he was at USC, and I like him as an NFL receiver. I do too. Yeah, he's got the dropsies, but the guy gets open, plain and simple. He really does. So, I mean, if you can, and I know it's a big if, but and usually the dropsies you can't fix, but if you can fix that problem, man, that guy's, I think he's going to be really decent in Oakland. I mean, you know, that's a big if again, but I don't hate him. I think it was a solid signing. Uh, I'll skip over the next one just to get to the minuscule facts before we get to the super hot button FBS that I'm sure everyone right now listening is waiting for us to talk about. But really quick, Two XFL quarterbacks, it works out for them. They sign with the NFL. P.J. Walker signs with the Carolina Panthers, and uh, Jordan Tamo signs with the Chiefs. So great for them getting some exposure with the XFL and getting a job. Yeah, it does kind of stink, you know, that the XFL is one of those leagues that had to be put on hiatus or, or you know, canceled in a way when um, this was a pretty good inaugural season for the rebranding of their product. But it is very nice to see some players. I'm sure this isn't going to be the end of some of the XFL castaways finding jobs on practice squads or, or special teams with the, the NFL. And uh, yeah, seeing P.J. Walker go to the uh, Panthers now after making their decision on Cam Newton. You know, now they have Teddy Bridgewater and an XFL quarterback because they had traded Kyle Allen, I believe. Yeah, I, I do know Kyle Allen has left. I, God, it's killing me. I, I know we where he went, but it, I, it's slipping my mind. But uh, Redskins. Yeah, it was the Redskins, yes. Redskins, there you go. That's right. Which honestly will be good competition for Dwayne Haskins. But anyway, uh, PJ Walker, the ipso facto MVP of the non-existent XFL anymore. Uh, the guy played great. So, you know, I, I kind of assumed he would get signed. Jordan Te'amu was a kid who went to Ole Miss, and I really liked coming into the league 
he didn't get a shot. Oh, I mean, he got a shot, but he didn't ever like make anything out of his shot. But I think he had a ton of talent coming out. He just, you know, never really reached his potential. Didn't have the best head on his shoulders. Couldn't really read a defense. But I mean, arm talent wise, had a ton of it. So it's going to be really cool to see if he can stick in the league and hang around. So I'll, I'll be interested. I'll follow him for sure. And then, of course, the big news, everyone's waiting for it. Cam Newton gets released by the Carolina Panthers. And I knew he was going to get released because nobody was taking that $21 million. I'll come right into it with a blazing hot take on on Cam Newton, is that the reason nobody's going to give him $21 million is because Cam Newton is just as good as Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's a backup quarterback. His stats are backup quarterback worthy. And he's the kind of guy who will compete on a team that stinks, but will never be the starting quarterback for a team that competes. I don't know if I want to go that far to compare him to a guy that went to Harvard, Wayne. But, I mean, Cam Newton is a guy that I think due to his playing style and how he was used both in college and in Carolina, uh, it was almost like a a running back is used in the beginning of his career. A lot of work on that lower half of his body. And like I'd mentioned to Wayne kind of off air earlier, I think Cam Newton and Gronk kind of fit into that same mold of guys that were very hard to officiate. And I just think that, you know, it was certainly a big tag number. I I didn't expect him to get caught. I thought he'd find a trade and a home elsewhere. Honestly, prior to that, I thought that he was going to stick with Carolina. So this is all culminating pretty fast for Cam Newton. But I blame it more on, um, you know, how he was used and his body downgrading, less so on um, poor skills. Yeah, I don't know if I can agree with that take of Ryan Fitzpatrick. I do think Cam Newton is vastly overrated. Outside of 2015, he's a pretty pedestrian quarterback, especially when passing the football. However, I mean, I think he's a starter. I think what he brings other than passing is obviously a leadership role. I think guys like, you know, when they're winning, I think guys like Cam Newton. I think they enjoy his personality. I hate that when they lose, he turns into a diva and kind of things like that. And I think teams will hate that as well. But I mean, his rushing totals can't be ignored. Last year, he only rushed for, I say only, he rushed for 488 yards and four touchdowns. The year before that was 750 and six. The guy's pounding the rock. He gets a ton of usage, which, you know, I mean, 139 carries. He's got 100 carries in every season he's been in the league except one which is 2016. I mean, and and last year, obviously. Yeah, go back to Auburn as well, Dan. I mean, if you look at his big year at Auburn, he was running the ball a ton then. I mean, I I don't imagine he took the ball out of his hands, you know, much at all. So his usage from college to now is just insane. I mean, you start to burn players out, and I think he's burnt out. He's never been a super accurate passer. So I think it's kind of like a guy who's only been good at shooting, not being able to shoot well anymore. You know, he's limited. Yeah, exactly. He's limited. Mike Fitzpatrick came from basically looking at the stats of basically just straight passing. Because if I'm a GM, I don't care about running him. He probably can't even run that much anymore anyways. So I'm looking at his statistics of basically what is Cam Newton going to give you. So outside of his MVP year, what he's going to give you is 59% passing, 3,300 yards, 20 touchdowns, 12 picks. If you look at Ryan Fitzpatrick, when he started 14 games or more, he gives you 63% passing, so more accurate. 33 to 3,500 yards, 20 touchdowns, and 12 picks. So from a passing standpoint, they're identical twins. Yeah, but I mean, as Dan can test to as a Bucks fan and as a guy who's watched Ryan Fitzpatrick around the league as a journeyman, that guy can throw five picks in one game. So can Cam Newton. Y- yeah, but I mean, I think to the, the argument where you're just going to totally discount what he does as a runner is just, I mean, you can't do that. I mean, you just can't. Like I said, he's rushed for a hundred. He's had a hundred carries in every single season he's been in the league. And he's rushed for the last year. He had 488 yards and four touchdowns. And that was his worst statistical rushing season. So, I mean, even if you get 
405 out of him, that's a solid, like, I mean, that puts him over the top. I mean, he's still a threat to run. That still counts for something. I like that he's a threat to run. I just don't like the idea of maybe it's the RPO offenses where I don't think that he can do that much anymore. And so it's great that he has those stats. I just think that, especially on the latter side of 30, I think he's going to turn into more of a passer, which is something that he just doesn't do very good. I don't disagree there. And like I said, I think he's a, a, a very average quarterback, but I think he's better than Ryan Fitzpatrick. So He didn't go to Harvard. He didn't. He didn't go to Harvard. And he stole a laptop. He did steal laptop scam Newton. Yeah. I I feel like before we move on to uh, any other news and where we want to predict some of these free agents to go to, another bit of surprising news in the NFL that did catch me off guard was Travis Frederick, all-pro guy, you know, perennial all-pro for the Cowboys, go ahead and, and, and hanging up the boots at age 29. You're seeing a trend of younger guys. This guy, a little bit earlier in the offseason, we saw Luke Keithley retire from the Panthers. And then even further back a couple of years ago, we're talking about Patrick Willis. So we're seeing players retire earlier on. I know Travis Frederick, it was mentioned, Dan brought it up actually in our group chat that there's a pretty rare in immune system uh, disease that he uh, suffers from, but it was just shocking to see Travis Frederick retire, um, you know, that center for the Cowboys that really held that line uh, real tight. Yeah, I mean, it was shocking, honestly. And the syndrome he has is called Gillian-Barr syndrome, I think. They call it GB syndrome, and it, it attacks the nerves endings in general and kind of eats them away. And he released a big statement saying how that was just kind of what happened, and he couldn't recover from that, and you know he wasn't playing at his highest level, and so he just thought he needed to step away from the game. It's a real shame because you mentioned too, and I agree completely. He was on an easy Hall of Fame track. I mean, you know, if you can't mention best centers in the league without mentioning Travis Frederick's name, I remember the draft he got selected in like it was yesterday. Dallas took him with a thirty-second. And I screamed, what a terrible pick. Like, I couldn't believe he had went. I had him rated as like a third or fourth round player. And he came out and showed everybody how, you know, how great he was. So, you know, big ups to him. And it's a shame to see him go. It's a shame to me that it wasn't concussion related because that seems what most of these are about is guys getting hit in the head. They don't want to get hit in the head anymore. Hopefully he has a great long life where he doesn't have to deal with a whole lot of pain. But because I do believe in the NFL getting safer and safer, and I know some people mock it as getting wimpier and wimpier, but I do like seeing some of the younger guys say, you know what, I've made $25 million. I don't need to get hit in the head anymore. You know, you mentioned concussions and I actually brought up the guy's name, Luke Keekley. I'll pose it to both you guys. Is that guy a Hall of Famer with the resume he's put forth? I think so, yes. I don't think he's a first ballot, but I think he's definitely a Hall of Famer. I'll say yes because the NFL, to me, is the cheesiest Hall of Fame in that I feel like 14 guys get in every year. It's not like two guys get in or three guys get in. It's, it's literally it's double-digit guys get in, I feel like, every year. So why not Luke Keekley? The guy's numbers are insane if you go look at him. Eight years in the league, seven Pro Bowls, five All-Pros, a defensive rookie of the year, and a defensive player of the year. I mean, he averages 100 tackles to Kane, or uh, 120 tackles a year. I, the guy's, I think he's just great. And he was a great player, leader. I mean, I, I don't see any way he's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, him and P. Willie are two of my favorite linebackers of all time, and uh, certainly was uh, a bit shocking when it happened for both of them, respectively, to see them step away from the game. Before, I think anybody wanted them to. I know a guy that stepped away early and one of Wayne's absolute favorites, Barry Sanders. Who doesn't like Barry Sanders? Uh, I'm sure uh, Packers fans um, in the <laughs> 80s. Uh... I mean, he made us Bucks look pretty ridiculous in a lot of his highlight films, too. So, so I guess the next bit of news that we're going to jump right into is uh, the Tom Brady news, which will make Dan really happy to talk about this stuff. My right. The news I saw first, the first thing was... Uh, 
who's going to wear number 12? Is Godwin going to give up 12? We both said last week that he has to. It's the TB12 method. It's Tom's brand. He's got to get 12. I mean, yeah, he gets 12. <laughs> Godwin's come out and said, hey, look, we haven't had any talks about it, but you know, his reputation speaks for itself and I will give him 12. I also saw a funny meme run around that, you know, a fake tweet where Godwin says, I'll give him, I'll give him 12 if he gives me a night with Giselle, which I think would be a fair trade as well. But I mean, he has to give him 12. Godwin, I don't think has any, you know, sentimental value to 12. So he'll get paid really well just for giving up a number. And I think, it, and I think it happens. You guys haven't heard of CG 12? <laughs> and so, you know, a funny story about that, though, is I remember I was actually at last, not last, two years ago in the summertime, I was at an Ed Sheeran concert in Foxborough. Yeah, and it was really good, actually. It was fantastic. Yeah. I recommend it. But it was the news came out that Josh Gordon had been released by the Browns and that he was going to be signing with the Patriots. And I was psyched and I told my buddy at work, I said, hey, I said, so Josh Gordon's going to the Patriots. And I said, uh, he's not going to be able to keep number 12, though. My buddy goes, why? Who's got 12 on the Patriots? <laughs> what an asshole. I hope you don't talk to that person anymore, Wayne. I hope you're not friends with him anymore. I, I do agree. I think he's gonna. I think he's going to stick with number 12. It does make way too much sense. I do remember when I brought it up last week. I didn't even think beyond, you know, the the TB12 method that you guys reminded me of. So, yeah, there's no way he steps away from that number, even though he did wear 10 in college. It means too much to his brand. And hopefully uh, Godwin gets a pretty good haul for whatever he ends up trading that number for. Maybe uh, a lot of toilet paper. (laughs) I would say, actually, so for me, if I was Godwin... I wouldn't give it up for nothing, obviously. I'd say, listen, I will give it up to you, but comes at a price. And I think a fair price for number 12 is an Aston Martin. Um, I, I wouldn't disagree. I think he – now, I know like most of the time they get like Rolexes or things like that. But I think Godwin could press his leverage here because he knows Tom Brady has to get this number. I don't think he wants to you know, piss off Tom Brady and say, hey, give me an $80,000 sports car. But, I mean, I do think he's going to get more than most – players would get for their number i i think it, i think an aston martin's pushing it though doesn't tom get them for free anyways with a sponsorship deal oh god I, if he gets them for free then he just needs to start handing them out to everyone <laughs> i can't went out to me i chaired for him for the past 20 years <laughs> yeah, exactly i'll show up with a dress on if he gives me an aston martin <laughs> wayne it looks like you um had a stain on your notes here you uh, wanted to know about antonio brown and the thought of maybe him going to tampa I really hope there's no truth to this. I don't know how you feel about it as a Bucks fan, but I can tell you straight up, before he even went to the Patriots, Antonio Brown's a piece of shit. And I don't know why Tom Brady hangs out with so many shitty people. He hangs out with Floyd Mayweather. I think he's friends with Justin Bieber. Like, he just surrounds himself with shitbags. And Antonio Brown is one of those people. And I really hope that it's not a true thing that I'm reading that he wants him in Tampa. Dan, you want him as a Buck, don't you? I would not like him as a Buccaneer. <laughs> I think he's a cancer. I agree. I think he's a piece of shit human being. I love him as a football player. Love his game. I like. I could go on for days about how pure I think Antonio Brown's receiving game is. But as a person, I think he's a shitty person. I don't like the chaos he brings to a team or a franchise, and I just don't want any part of it. Zero part of it. Getting into the next section, we had remaining free agents. I have a huge list of them. We don't have to get into all of them. But some of the bigger names, it's just curious, like, where are these guys going to end up? Why haven't they been signed yet? You know, because obviously the, the big, big signings all happened the first five days. Now it's kind of like, I feel like the guys on this list, they're not scraps, but they feel like they're the scraps. Well, 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 these top two here, Wayne, I think specifically we've had a discussion on FBAS in, in a thread. Cam Newton and Jameis Winston, you know, Cam Newton, we've obviously spent a few minutes talking about. Jameis Winston, we know, you know, Dan has a lot of history with him. 
has some respect for him, but know that he knows, you know, that now that he's got a much better quarterback at the helm. Who is the better quarterback at this point? It's Jameis Winston. It's not even close. And in fact, when I saw this debate on FBAS, I almost went in there swinging with two closed fists because I'm going to tell you something right now. If you think Cam Newton is better than Jameis Winston, then JV should ban you from talking football. You're not allowed to be in football drafts. You can't have a football opinion. If you think Cam Newton's better than Jameis Winston, just get the fuck out of here. Wow, Wayne pulling out the ban hammer. I mean, not to ride your coattails or anything, Wayne, but I 100% agree. I think you're drinking the motherfucking retarded Kool-Aid if you think Jameis <laughs> Winston's better than Cam Newton. It, it doesn't make sense. I, I mean, outside, yes, the guy's got interception issues, but I mean, you take that, you put, you drop that to te- to ten interceptions from from thirty, and we win, you know, three more games, and it's not a huge as a deal as everybody makes it. If somebody can reel that in, he still has potential to be a very, very, very good player. Whereas Cam Newton, we know what he is. He's coming down, and you know, he's an average quarterback. So I don't know where they go. I'm honestly not sure. James Winston, I'm I'm kind of confused. He hasn't been signed anywhere. Honestly, I'm 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 really confused. And Cam Newton, I think he just makes sense for the Chargers. Just a bridge gap quarterback. I mean, he's going to be a better Tyrod Taylor, but it depends on how much you get him for. I mean, how many quarterback homes do we have left? I mean, now that we think about it, um, I mean, there's, you know, the ones that we think of at the top of the draft. I mean, obviously Cincinnati's going to go with Joe Burrow, where that team's going to get relegated. And we've got the Dolphins, who we spent some time talking about with their draft capital, both this year and next year, whether they're going to take somebody in this year's class or they're looking at some of the bright gems next year. Uh, and we've also talked about the Chargers. And we've also talked about the Cowboys, who don't quite have a guy signed yet. So right now, that's about four homes. Can we think of many more homes where you know there needs to be a quarterback, the capability of a Cam Newton or Jameis Winston? I'd like to say to bring this to a, a whole or go, come full circle, I do agree with you both. I think Jameis Winston is the better quarterback. I think it comes down to his arm. I think that both got a little handsy in college, you know, one with crab legs, one with laptops. But when it comes to the NFL and and slinging the ball, Jameis Winston is more accurate. He uh, can put more air into the ball. You know, he's a guy that I would prefer to have on my team over Cam Newton, both on the field and off the field. Jameis is a way more accurate passer. He threw for 5,000 yards last year, so I don't know if gets hung up on the 30 interceptions. He also had 30 touchdowns, which is pretty impressive. But I'd mentioned Cam Newton's a backup quarterback. That's it. He's a career backup quarterback. Anywhere he goes is to be a backup quarterback. Do not expect him to get more than $10 million, one-year deal wherever he goes. And so that, to me, the likely spots for Cam Newton are going to be the Cleveland Browns. They'll get somebody in there just to kind of push Baker Mayfield because he needs that. The New York Jets because they need somebody to push Darnold. And they have the cap room to sign him for $10 million as a backup. I think an interesting down in the NFC South would be at the Saints. Do what you do with Teddy Bridgewater. Bring Cam Newton in to be the backup to Drew Brees. If Brees gets hurt, all right, you got a guy who started in that conference already. So that's where he's going to fit. And like I said, 8 to $10 million, one-year deal. Bank on that. Jameis is going to go somewhere and be a starter. I think teams are scared, like the Chargers and the Dolphins, to bring him in to be the starter because they'd like somebody in the draft better than him. But I think he's better than what they could get in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to go with your points there, Wayne, I think that Cleveland signed Case Keenum recently. And, you know, Dan actually had brought it up that Case Keenum is a, a journeyman guy that has really been successful wherever he's been in that role. And, I, you know, I think he even likened him to John Kitna. So I think Cleveland may be all set there. I do really like the idea of the Saints, though. I think a bit of a, uh, a rehab for your character under Sean Payton behind Drew Brees. And then, you know, with the age of Drew Brees, you're, you're going to get some snaps here and there. And it's certainly a different, a change of pace type quarterback for the Saints. Dan, how would you feel about that? 
I wouldn't hate it. I don't know if I really like it, though. I think they're pretty committed to Taysom Hill. They're also pretty cap-stricken, so I don't know if they've got the ability to kind of bring him in. They've got 16 million cap space, and you need roughly 9.5, 10 to sign your draft picks. So I don't know if they could bring him in. But I, I don't hate the fit. I just don't know if it could be you know, actually happen. A team I think may he may really go to is the Broncos. He could be a backup there to Drew Locke. If Drew Locke doesn't succeed, you've got a player you can come in and you can kind of trust and do things like that for the year. I know we've kind of written off the Broncos as a team that's set at quarterback because they were committed to Drew Locke, but I, I agree with kind of what Wayne said. I don't know if I'd view him as a pure starter, and so I think he'd fit really well there. They have the cap space to do it. And then I'm not quite sure, does it, can anybody name the Texans backup quarterback off the top of their head? I think Cam Newton would be a solid fit there if they don't have an established backup quarterback, which, you know, I doubt the Texans would ever make that kind of move as a franchise. But I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't hate that fit. Well, first they would trade Deshaun Watson for a third round pick and then they would sign Cam Newton. Oh, hopefully to the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, then they would sign Cam. Bill O'Brien, the legend. Jadavion Clowney we talked about. Robbie Anderson signed today. I have him on the list as an available free agent, but he signed a two-year deal today with the Panthers. Well, very good signing for the Panthers. I think that guy's an underrated guy. I think, un- uh, unfortunately, you, uh, you you seem to forget about guys or not see them as often when they play for the Jets. But Robbie Anderson was a, a bit of a bright spot for that team. And so good to see him go to um, a Panthers team that's obviously going to have a bit of a, a, a much different offensive vision with a new head coach and new offensive coordinator. Well, I was unaware of that signing. You just kind of broke it on me, and I think that's a fantastic signing. They got him two for 20, or it's 12 mil in the first year, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of that will be guaranteed. But, I mean, that's a pretty solid deal for a guy who I think what he does well is he's going to stretch the field, and he does it extremely well, in my opinion. And I love that fit and signing, you know, him with the weapons they're building over there. Uh, DJ Moore is a solid, solid player. I really like him a lot. And then Curtis Samuel's kind of that all-around slot weapon that you can use that trio is actually a pretty nice little trio on offense you know none of them are kind of gonna over the top wow you but all three of them together fit really really well hey wayne Schefter, has brashard perriman been signed he is not yet and that's a guy that i really like and i know coming from tampa i thought about how the patriots could utilize him i don't think they have the cap space right now to do it they'd have to move some stuff around because he's probably gonna get based on these contracts somewhere in the eight million dollar range and i think if the patriots were to cut sanu or trade him for something that clears six million you just add the other two for Perriman and what I like about him is the speed and I know we're talking about getting Nikhil Harry 1100 yards next year and I think the way to do that is to put him next to a guy like Perriman have Perriman run that you know that deep post route pull the safety over and that way you can have Nikhil Harry one-on-one with a shorter corner. Dan what are your thoughts on Perriman? I mean, as a, as a Bucks fan, I really like his game in a vacuum. He's never going to be a guy who I think you can depend on or anything like that. And my issue with him going to New England is I think he'd have too big of a role, and I don't think you'd get enough production out of him. I mean, you're you're talking about using him like a decoy, yet he'd probably be the number two on your team. So, I mean, I get, you know, depending on what happens with the Edelman situation, you know, and like you said, Mohamed Sanu is, is kind of a player who's just not lived up to the hype, and I don't think he's going to see a lot of field time this year. So, you know, I'm just not really sure. I would of love for Tampa to bring him back. It's kind of, it doesn't sound like we are at all. And that's kind of unfortunate. But I mean, in a vacuum, I really like his game. You've actually seen this guy inside of a vacuum? I have. He, he, he you know, he fit inside my, my Dissel and, but my Bissell, I don't know what you call him. No, but just what he does well, again, like Robbie Anderson, he does very, very well. Outside of that, I don't think he does some things very well, but 
The uh, guy I have listed below him here, I have uh, Logan Ryan, who initially when I was looking at all these cornerbacks and what they're signing for, and they're saying Logan Ryan wants $10 million a year, it doesn't sound unreasonable when you look at what he did last year. He had 114 tackles. He had uh, a crap load of passes defended. He had I think, six or eight interceptions. Uh, so I'm looking at his stats, and I'm like, wow, this guy, you know, he's he puts up some numbers. Uh, then I go to football focus, and they really break down numbers more than that. And you see he also allowed 80 receptions last year. So teams love to throw at Logan Ryan. Yeah, and he's certainly not a guy that I have paid attention to since he left the Patriots organization. I know that he then went on to uh, some time with Tennessee. But they, he, no, I don't think that cornerback is a position that we're going to see a lot more money get thrown at. I think we've seen it already, and I know that you know Dan has you know told us already about some, and will continue to tell us more about some nice cornerback players that you know play teams can find in the draft. So I mean, guys like Logan Ryan, Prince of Mukamara, and you know Nicole Roby. I'm I'm wondering, are there many that many more homes for these guys? Is there that much more money left for these guys at the cornerback positions? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned he had 114 tackles, and that's like you said. It's because his guy was always open, and he's got to tackle him after, after <laughs> they made the catch. Uh, like, dead serious. I really thought Tennessee would bring him back just because in, in that defense, I think he fit well. But if he's asking for 10 mil, I don't think he's going to get it. And and, and I'm going to piggyback on what Jesse said. I think the, the market for corners is, has hit its peak. You know, I think it's going to taper off now and you'll see a lot of value signings. Like now you'll see, you know, like you, like you mentioned, the Kel Roby, Prince Amakumara, you know, Logan Ryan, Xavier Rhodes. These guys may sign for around like seven, eight, nine million, that range around there and just have to get on a team where, where I think they'd be a good value signing uh because at this time I don't, I don't think i don't see anybody reaching out to get him a guy i'm still surprised is still on the market is jason peters i mean i know he's up there in age but the guy played you know solid football and has still played solid football and i think a team especially like the bucks would be really primed to get him and just use him for a year to protect tom brady what are your guys takes on that I mean, both Peters and, you know, the offensive tackle for the uh, the Skins is Trent Williams, correct? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, both these guys could certainly make huge impacts wherever they go because of their skill. I think that the Buccaneers would be wise to grab a guy like Peters who has success in the NFC, success in the playoffs. Keeping Tom Brady upright, take it as a Patriots fan, keeping Tom Brady upright is what does, you know, your team the most value. You don't want to see that guy on his back, so... You want to keep that guy protected, and I think Peters is a, a huge thought towards that. So I don't blame you for wanting to add him to the Bucks. I'm not sure where else he could find a home. I mean, of course, teams are always looking for offensive line depth. Wayne, any ideas on where you would want to find this guy? In New England. <laughs> I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing him protecting the blind side of you know my uh, next superstar, Jared Stidham. It's sad that Dan, uh, Dante Skarnecki is not there anymore because I think, not that Peters needs his help, but that he could continue working with those younger offensive linemen, and Peters just gives you almost like a, another assistant coach on the offensive line. Like you're having two O-line coaches, and he's definitely effective, and I think that the Patriots last year, one of the things that you know I think they did a lousy job with Brady was giving him time to throw. He had to get rid of the ball so quick, and uh, I think especially with now you know kind of switching over to Stidham, he doesn't have that quick release. He's a, a long thrower. You know he, he throws it deep, and so he needs more time. So I'd like to see more offensive line help in New England. Yeah, I mean, to uh, you know, touch on what you said about Dante Scarnecchia, an offensive line, you know, legend for the NFL. 
This guy, you know, said he's retired, but yet he was doing a lot of the draft and, and scouting uh, looks for the Patriots as far as the offensive line goes. So maybe he's not as retired as some would make it seem, um, but this guy would certainly help a guy like Jason Peters, who's already a great talent. And I mean, I, I agree with you, Wayne. As a Patriots fan, we want to make sure that our guy's standing up right now that, you know, we don't have 12 back there. So it's paramount to make sure that our guy's standing up to throw the ball. Speaking of retiring, too, do you guys think Joe Flacco retires now that he failed his physical and is out in, in Denver? I think that'd be um, smart for him. I mean, I don't really, I don't remember his Broncos time much. I think that his Ravens Super Bowl came not with an asterisk, but a, uh, you know, a pass interference flag next to it. That's how that dude moved the ball down the field. I don't have much respect for him or, you know, for Harbaugh, to be honest. But I think that his time as an NFL quarterback, both as a starter and a backup, is over. I don't think he's got anything to give to an NFL team right now. I think he should retire, but I don't think he will. Only because just from what I've seen in this guy's past, he's the guy that they offered him a huge contract in Baltimore. He turned it down, so I'm going to play out this last year my deal, and got paid huge. So he bet on himself and he won. Good for him. But he definitely seems like a guy who's about the dollars, and I think if there's any team out there that's willing to give him a handshake and a veteran minimum deal, he'll take it. Is there a team, though? I don't see a team out there that's going to waste I mean, the failing the physical is huge because then he's going to come back and prove that he can even pass a physical. I don't see anywhere a team signs him. I just don't see that. At this point, it's hard to see because it's not even yet to the draft, but how many times do we see once we get into June, July, and August and guys are tearing their ACLs just jogging out of the tunnel that teams need backup quarterbacks? Yeah, you're true. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll go with, you know, you never say never with a guy, especially at the quarterback position. You know, we saw Vinny Testaverde come back and play games, you know, when I swear that guy was out of the league for several years. Uh, so um, I think quarterback allows you a bit of a longer leash with things like that. Yeah, Vinny Testaverde looked like Dan Marino compared to Joe Flacco. <laughs> <laughs> wow, sizzling. <laughs> so it's unanimous here. Joe Flacco's not even close to a Hall of Famer, right? Oh, no. No, not at all. And, I mean, I, I do think that he's done. You know, we've talked about the quarterbacks that uh, are still looking for homes as far as free agents. And, you know, we've also spent some time talking about quarterbacks coming into the league via the draft as well as guys via the XFL, I don't think that Joe Flacco finds anywhere where he's going to be impactful enough to give him any amount of money. And as far as the Hall of Fame discussion, I mean, it's not a bad question to ask because everyone asks about Eli, right? Is Eli a Hall of Famer? Because he didn't put up monster numbers and he threw a lot of interceptions, right? But Eli won two Super Bowls. He'd be arguably the best team in football history. So I think that that goes a long way. I know Flacco won one. But also when you look at Flacco's numbers, prior to getting that big contract, he was... Like Cam Newton, a 57-58% completion percentage guy, he's got a big arm, he can throw it a mile, but he can't throw it accurately. And then, you know, he has the huge year, wins the Super Bowl, then goes back to a 60-61% guy. I just don't think he has the numbers career-wise to put him in the Hall of Fame along some of the guys like Eli Manning, who I think should be in there. Oh, no, I completely agree. I mean, the guy's never even been to a Pro Bowl. So, I mean, you know, I, I completely agree. I just, you know, I wanted to throw it out there. The free agent that hasn't been signed yet that actually really interests me, initially before we even started talking about all this stuff, just kind of looking through the list, I said, you know, that's an interesting guy, is Devin Funchess from uh, Indianapolis, who was hurt last year, but he's a big 6'4", 6'5", wide-body receiver, and I feel like when he's right, he's actually a really good receiver. I just had some injury issues. 
Yeah, bunches of funches. You know, I think when you start your career playing for the Panthers and with Cam Newton, that guy throws darts. You know, I think Wayne's already touched on and slam dunked on how inaccurate that guy is. So um, it doesn't do you much positive when you have Cam Newton as your quarterback. So we'll see where he can go from here. I mean, I know he's not coming directly from Carolina to free agency, but hopefully he continues to progress as a receiver. We'll certainly see, you know, what becomes of him. We got some requests, actually, from the FBAS community. They said, what are your guys' fantasy takes on some of these signings, some of these trades? And we came up with six names. I had Brady, Rivers, Hopkins, Diggs, Gordon, Gurley were the six that we're going to touch on for fantasy impact. We can always pick out more next week if we really feel like it's warranted, but I felt those were the six biggest names. I wanted to start with Tom Brady, and I was going to let Dan start on the fantasy impact of Tom Brady signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, for just Tom Brady in a nutshell, I think it elevates him back to a premier quarterback. I mean, I don't think there's any way he's not ahead of, you know, a lot of the guys you took over him last year, like maybe a Jameis Winston or, you know, something like that. Tom Brady is now, a, I think, an easy top five quarterback in fantasy football wise. He's got two top five receivers to throw to him in Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and OJ Howard, the premier tight end now, like, you know, with, with that kind of talent. Uh, I think his numbers go way up. I'd expect somewhere in the four to 4,200 range in yards. And I don't think 35 to 40 touchdowns is out of bounds at all. So I think his fantasy value goes sky high now. Yeah, apparently some of you nerds still play fantasy football. But Dan, you touched on the running attack in uh, Tampa Bay being affected by Tom Brady getting there. Who do you think people can look at for Tampa as far as uh, a running impact? Uh, Nobody. Uh, (laughs) uh, In all seriousness, I mean, Ronald Jones right now is the front runner to, you know, get the bulk of everything in that offense. There's real rumblings. We like a lot of running backs in the draft. Clyde Edwards-Alaire out of LSU fits our system to a T. The guy runs extremely hard and is probably the best pass catcher out of the top backs coming out. Another guy we like a lot, Zach Moss, and he just, you know, had a really, really, really good pro day and, and ran a 4-5, which was tremendous over his 4-6-5. So, you, you know, we'll see coming out of there, but it's either going to be Ronald Jones or one of these rookies. And both of these receivers are, you know, Godwin and Evans. We're going to see both these guys come out in the first round of both fantasy drafts, you'd think. I don't know about the first round. We'll see because wide receivers kind of a deep position. But latest they'll go is second round, both receivers. They're they're easily two top five receivers. You know, you're going to have Mike Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, who we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Devontae Adams. You know, those are the other big guys. And then Julio Jones. But outside of that, I think it's Godwin and Evans and then maybe Tyreek Hill. I would say the fantasy impact I had is that I think Brady's impact stays about the same. Whatever Brady gave you for fantasy points last year, I would expect him to put up similar numbers again this year. I do think that if you are a Chris Godwin fan, he had a very good year last year, his numbers are going down. I would pass on him. And I'll tell you why, because Tom Brady cannot throw a deep ball better than my sister throws a deep ball. Every deep ball he throws, his shoulders are at a 45-degree angle. He puts a lot of air under it, and he's not very accurate where it lands. So Mike Evans is going to see numbers go up significantly. I think you're going to see more than 67 catches. I would like, I expect to see Mike Evans somewhere in the 85-catch range, 90-catch range. So his numbers will go up. He'll be a value pick, but I would pass on Godwin. His numbers are going down for sure. Yeah, and I think Dan had also touched on, uh, in one of our more recent episodes, the tight end impact, having both Brait and O.J. Howard. I think, you know, we may see a ton of touchdowns coming from these tight ends in the Tampa Bay offense. 
Yeah, I mean, so I do think Godwin has a downtick in production only because his year was so productive last year. But I mean, I I actually think Godwin's going to benefit more from Tom Brady than Mike Evans because Godwin, he works the shorter intermediate stuff better than I think Mike Evans does. But how can uh, one thing I got to touch, how can you not think Tom Brady's going to improve on the semi-pedestrian year he had last year? I mean, he had a struggling 4,000 yards and 24 touchdowns. You don't think he's going to have more than 24 touchdowns for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Wayne? I, I would put him at 28. That would be my over-under. Oh, I'll t- oh God. We're going to get into another bet later on in this, but I'll take a bet on that. Oh, <laughs> I'll our, take our, a bet on that 100%. Our, our last section of the show, yeah. <laughs> FBAS bets. God. I mean, as far as Tom Brady, I mean, being a Patriots fan, I'd never really looked towards Tom Brady for fantasy impact because he seemed pretty boring. The guy was always, you know, slinging the ball around to lesser guys in New England. But this year, I got to lean more towards Dan's perspective and say, I think, you know, we're going to see Tom Brady's biggest fantasy impact year in a long, long time. I think the weapons that he has as pass catchers is going to make him be drafted early and, and not be a draft bust. Draft bust. I'm going to say that you're overestimating. I think that if you're expecting a Peyton Manning first year in Denver type of year, you're going to be very sad because Tom Brady's still a very good quarterback, and I think he's still going to have a very good year, and I think 28 touchdowns and four or five picks is still a good year for him. That's a Tom Brady-type year at 43 years old. I just don't think he's going to come out with a resurgence and have some amazing first year with Randy Moss-type year. I think Dan would easily take 28-5, and but I think he has hopes for more. I would definitely take 28 and four. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I mean, if you just go back to his stretch in 14, 15, 16, you know, he had 42, 48 and only 3,600, but those touchdown years, he had 33, 36 and 28. I mean, if he can get back to that, and like I said, do 42, 45 with 35 touchdowns or 30 touchdowns, I don't really think that's out of bounds. And obviously we're not going to see Randy Moss impact. I mean, that was, I mean, I think he had 50 touchdowns that year. Like that was crazy. So I definitely think we're going to see an uptick in his touchdown value. And that's where it matters in fantasy impact. The guys had 24, 29. I think we're going to see him get back to the 36 to 40 range this year and still maintain his under 10 picks a year, which is gold in fantasy in a lot of leagues because picks are minus two and that crushes you. So that 07 year Brady to get 50 and Moss ended up catching the 23. So that was the record breaking year, at least for, you know, for Brady, he held it for a year. I'm pretty sure that Manning broke it shortly after. Yeah, shortly. I think Manning had 53 or something like that. But I think the thing with Brady and Moss, that the reason that Moss was such a good fit for him, like I said, is Brady does not throw a very accurate deep ball because he doesn't have a strong enough arm, so he has to put a lot of air under it. When you have a six foot four receiver that runs a four three, very useful. Now, when he had Brandon Cooks, I watched him all year. He couldn't hit Brandon Cooks to save his life. If money was riding on it, which it was, he could not hit Brandon Cooks. And Cooks is a and Cooks is a take the top off the top, you know, or was it take the top of the defense off, whatever it is. He does that great, and Cooks would get separation, but because Tom Brady's deep ball has 17 seconds of hang time on it, it has to be so accurate and fall into his hands, and he missed him so many times watching those games. Yeah, I mean, Mike Evans has the ability to, to go up and get the ball, kind of, you know, Randy Moss-esque, so I definitely think he'll benefit from that. I mean, Jameis had a great deep ball anyway, so I, I think that's going to stay the same. Tom Brady's fantasy impact has to go up, in my opinion. Uh, next, it looks like we got Philip Rivers. Um, you know, we talked about him signing in Indianapolis and the impact of that one-year deal. We talked about how him versus Jacoby Brissett, probably getting a more accurate player, a, a better quarterback with Philip Rivers, a more Hall of Fame resume. Who is going to have the most impact outside of Philip Rivers? Are we looking at T.Y. Hilton as being the most impactful player after Rivers signs? Jack Doyle. That's a. I mean, that's a. I, I don't hate that. 
Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is that, you know, Philip Rivers is going to have a year that's probably, fantasy-wise, it's probably going to be, this, again, same as it was last year, but I think that his passing yards are going to go down. I mean, last year he was throwing to Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Now he's got T.Y. Hilton and Zach Pascal. I think his numbers are going to go down for sure. It's not the same. It's not apples to apples. But Jack Doyle is a good tight end. He was targeted by Brissett 72 times last year. He caught 43 balls. Perspective-wise, Phillip Rivers threw to Hunter Henry 76 times. So I think you're going to see comparable targets for Doyle. I think that Doyle's probably not as good as Hunter Henry, but I would expect him to get somewhere around 50 or 60 grabs. So it might be a good tight end to grab. Yeah, I think fantasy players aren't going to see is the impact that Phillip Rivers is going to receive from this offensive line in Indianapolis. The Colts have one of the best offensive lines, if not the best offensive line in all of the NFL. Quentin Nelson is just a beast. And so I think that Philip Rivers is going to benefit from not being chased, not being on his back as often, um, having you know less pass catchers, in, or not pass catchers, but edge rushers, I'm sorry, in the AFC South. So I think he's going to be able to sling the ball a little bit better. And I think that's really going to help out guys like Jack Doyle, guys like T.Y. Hilton. So uh, I really like it for those guys. Um, beyond that, I honestly can't tell you many playmakers for the Colts. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the Colts are in need of a playmaker outside uh, for sure. They definitely need some help with T.Y. I I do think T.Y. benefits greatly only because Phillip Rivers loves to push the ball down the field and T.Y. Hilton can, you know, take the top off of defense. So, I mean, I do think Phillip Rivers is going to have his 4,000 yards. That's just what he does. The guy just throws down for 4,000 yards. He's like a machine. So he's going to hit that. I love the Jack Doyle throw out. You know, I think he definitely sees a fantasy up take you know eric ebron's out of there in, in indianapolis so i think jack doyle's role definitely goes up i personally have them taking t higgins with that second pick in the second round and th- i think he'd be a really good fantasy impact for them i think he'd immediately be able to step in and, and have that mike williams role like he had in la anyway but yeah i mean they they are struggling for playmakers but you already mentioned it philip rivers is going to have an uptick just in general for that offensive line Yeah, I mean, we're talking about guys they may draft, and uh, they don't have a first-round pick right now because of that deal they made for DeForest Buckner. So, you know, they're going to have to look into the second round at some players who may fall at the wide receiver or you know position to have a a large impact for that offense since they went ahead and made a pretty large commitment to Phillip Rivers. Naheem Hines was uh, one that I was interested in because last season Phillip Rivers did target his halfback 174 times, and last year Naheem Himes was targeted 58 times. That was the most of the halfbacks from Indianapolis. So if you figure Eckler got 100 targets last year, Hines is their receiving back. Even if he gets to 80 or 90 based on his catches last year, Naheem Himes could have 75 catches this year. Yeah, tight ends and pass catching backs can really help out a quarterback, especially ones coming into a new offense and a new home. So that's, a you know, you throwing out Jack Doyle and Hines at the running back position. Uh, you certainly done your Colts homework here, Wayne. Yeah, you definitely did. Hines is a great pick. Like you said, for the pass catching ability, he's going to be out there and he's going to get a ton of play. You know, speaking of new homes and new situations, DeAndre Hopkins' fantasy stock has got to honestly, I think, skyrocket at this point going into that offense. Kyler Murray's just got an arm for days, and they love running their wide receivers out there. Uh, What do you guys think DeAndre's value is this year? I think DeAndre goes down. I know I'm I'm kind of going with with all these different guys, but DeAndre goes down only because he had 150 targets last year from Watson. I don't know if he gets 150 targets from Murray because their receiving depth is so much deeper in Arizona than it is in Houston. 
So I think maybe he gets 120 targets, which still is pretty good, but I think that's going to drop his receiving numbers. You might see him down around maybe uh, 1,100 yards, six, seven touchdowns. It's it's not going to be a huge impact. I think it's going to be comparable to what he did last year, maybe a little bit less. So you think he's going to have like a Nikhil Harry type year? Yeah, th- th- those are two identical receivers. Actually, I take Harry. I take Harry. <laughs> uh, so I mean, obviously Nuke is a fantastic player, one that we all t- you know were were shocked that he moved, and we we've spoken about the offense and how they're going to spread out those receivers and by nature of that they're not I don't think as many targets are going to end up in DeAndre Hopkins hands he's got some fantastic hands some soft hands and as much as I hate to agree with Wayne I try to do it as little as possible I do think that he's right here I don't think that DeAndre Hopkins is going to have a better year than he's had in years previous I do think that Kyler Murray is going to be one of those quarterbacks that we see drafted higher because of the bevy of options and because of the style of that offense. I'll go against the grain here then. I, I I actually think he has a better year than he did last year. I mean, he honestly had considered by most a down year last year. He had 1,107 touchdowns. I think his touchdown total goes way up, if anything. I, I do agree his targets may go down, but I mean, I don't see any reason he doesn't get 80, 88 receptions, you know, 80 to that range receptions with 1,100 yards and 14 touchdowns, which would be a, a huge fantasy impact. I really love him in that offense, and I think the other weapons around him allow him to actually get deeper more, you know, expose one-on-one coverage more, and do things like that. You had mentioned it, Jesse. I do think the big beneficiary of this whole situation is Kyler Murray. I think his fantasy value absolutely skyrockets. He goes way, way, way up, in my opinion. He's in that offense— that they're going to run with the weapons around them, I think it really pushes him very close to that above average premier tier right there. Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury is a very smart coach, a very young guy that you know gets very creative on offense. And having as many receivers um, as he does and uh, having a star and an elite player um, like Hopkins is going to give him a fun toy to play with. Can, can either of you touch on any of the other receivers uh, you know that Arizona has? Well, Larry Fitzgerald, again, had 109 targets, 75 catches. The guy still has hands like glue. He catches everything you throw at him. So he's still a really good receiver. I think, obviously, his numbers are going to go down because you're going to get more targets towards Hopkins. But I still wouldn't be surprised to see Larry Fitzgerald catch 60, 65 passes. He's still a big receiver, and he still catches everything. Kirk, I'm not sure how it's going to affect him. You know, I mean, he had 108 targets last year. I would expect that to probably drop to 70 or less. He had 68 grabs, so expect that to be 40, 45. I think that I wouldn't bet on him as doing what he did last year. Fitzgerald's going to be a pretty safe bet to do what he did last year, or maybe a little bit less. I think Hopkins is less. The big steal for me, or the big beneficiary, like Dan said, is Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, not only does he have a laser beam for a ball that he throws, he's really accurate. He completed 64% of his passes last year. I think that goes up with having a guy like Hopkins who catches everything just like Fitzgerald. I think you maybe see that go up to 66 67%, which is insane for a second-year quarterback, especially one with as big an arm as he has. So I would expect his uh, passing yards to go somewhere in the range of 4,500, and I can see 30 to 35 touchdowns for Kyler Murray. So you see Kyler Murray having a better year than Tom Brady, for sure. Okay, well, finish my sentence for me, and uh, that's ballsy, Wayne. That's ballsy. I wouldn't discount it, though, just because, I mean, again, in that offense, plus he's also going to rush a lot, and he's going to score a lot of rushing touchdowns, which, depending on your league, are going to score higher than passing touchdowns. I think you're wrong about Christian Kirk also. Everybody's targets everybody's targets and receptions can't go down. Somebody has to benefit from this situation. And yet you've said all three receivers are going to lose targets and receptions. I don't see that happening. I do think Larry Fitzgerald becomes the odd man out in this situation. I do think targets may go down, but I think receptions kind of stay the same just because of the vast majority 
majority, they're going to be pounding that ball. And then touchdowns is the big thing. I think everybody's touchdown value goes up in that offense. And now with everybody sharing the rock a little more. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, Christian Kirk only got three touchdowns last year. I think that goes up to around probably six or seven. And that alone fantasy value is great. Um, I agree completely with your take on Kyler Murray, though. Uh, I don't know if he's going to outscore Tom Brady, but I don't think it's out of like, I don't think it's a crazy take either. You guys think the Cardinals could push for a wild card? Maybe. I'd have to really take a look. I haven't really taken a look at the the whole conferences yet. Still too early. That yeah, defense is still a little rough. I mean, outside of Patrick Peterson and, uh, and I don't know, Buda Baker played nice in spots, but I don't know. That defense is pretty rough. Do we have any Buffalo Bills fans on FBAS? Ryan Leaf. Pretty big fan there in Ryan Leith, and uh, he had given some takes on the Stefan Diggs move. I think he spoke about how it impacts a certain cannon-armed quarterback in Josh Allen. What do you guys feel about Stefan Diggs moving to this team and what it does for that offense? This is one where I'm actually going to say everybody goes up on this one. I think that Diggs is a good receiver. I think that he was underutilized in Minnesota, and I think that Josh Allen is going to take advantage of him. He's not extraordinarily accurate like Kyler Murray is, but he's got got a huge arm. I love watching him throw the ball. And I think that, you know, he's going to take advantage of Diggs. But more so, I think John Brown, who I think is a very good receiver, kind of came out of his shell last year, seeing him with 118 targets, I think, or 115, I think that goes up. His 72 receptions goes up. I think Cole Beasley benefits from this because it's going to create more space for him in the middle. So he had 106 targets. That might go down, but he only had 67 grabs. So basically a 67% reception per target. I think that probably goes up to 70, 75 range. So he's going to catch about the same number of balls, but on fewer targets because he's going to have the middle of the field wide open a little bit more. I do agree. I see the offense blooming with this. I think that Josh Allen right now is probably the best quarterback in the AFC East. Um, I know that Wayne wants to put Jarrett Stidham in there, but uh, I think that you know Josh Allen has you know the, the physical tools um, to take this team to the next level, and I think adding a, a fun toy like Stephon Diggs is really going to do wonders for that offense. I think Beasley is, you know, Diet Edelman. So I think it will really help out in that division to uh, see that offense continue to grow. If anything, too, I think Josh Allen's shown he's going to improve, and I really like his game. You know, if if he becomes a player who can increase his accuracy even just a little bit, then obviously having a player like Stefan Diggs is going to be huge. I mean, he is such a technician and runs routes so well and gets such great separation that, I mean, he's he's obviously going to, to help everyone around him. Uh, one of the guys I think I expect a, a big progression from this year is Dawson Knox, the tight end. He didn't get a ton of a work, but I mean, what he did, I think he did really well. He's a big red zone threat. You know, he only had uh, 28 receptions for the year. I expect that to go up to around 50 this year. And just essentially his production's going to double. So, you know, you'll get him around, you know, 50 receptions, 80, 800 yards. And then I expect his touchdowns to go up to just again, like what you said, being able to occupy that that vacant space that Stefan Diggs going to take uh, is, is going to be key and tight ends are our young quarterback's best friend. And I'd say earmuffs kids because Jesse said that Cole Beasley is Edelman light or diet Edelman. I think he is what Edelman would be if Edelman was a pussy. <laughs> wow. I mean, I actually don't disagree with that cake. I don't think Cole Beasley's even in the conversation of a Julian Edelman. I mean, they have the same play style, but Cole Beasley's, uh, he's just not the same player. Now, Melvin Gordon uh, goes to the Broncos. Obviously, the immediate thought is how this is going to help their quarterback, whether it's Drew Locke or somebody else that they bring in. I think that whoever they have, I think particularly Locke, it's going to be a game manager situation. So it helps them by having a good running back that can help him manage the game. But I think the real big benefit 
from Melvin Gordon is going to be Noah Font because all of those play action passes. I think 66 targets expect 100, and I think 40 catches expect 60. Wow, that's big expectations for a, a very young tight end um, in Denver, but I don't disagree with it. I think that having a very good running back tandem helps out the offense. You know, you really need one side of the ball to help out the other as far as, you know, the run pass in offense. And I'm wondering, how does this help Philip Lindsay besides, you know, freshening his legs a little bit? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I actually think the two running back tandem in, in that situation they have set up is going to benefit both players really well. Philip Lindsay's used to a tandem situation. He's he's rushed for a thousand yards in back to back years with with a tandem kind of already set up. I think his stats kind of stay the same, if not get better, because I think they're going to really pound the football. Because like Wayne had said, you know, Drew Locke's just a game manager and nothing more. I agree on your take on Noah Fant as well. I mean, I think he could, he's definitely going to get an uptick in production. I definitely think he's going to see a, a lot of, you know, soft coverages from said play action because they are going to pound the rock. And then this is another team kind of like Indianapolis. They're desperate for weapons, so they're probably going to bring somebody in early. And whoever they do should probably have an immediate impact. You know, Henry Ruggs is heavily linked to them. If he gets on that offense, wow, that'll be special because think of play action with him running behind those those corners. That'll be scary. I, I love the Henry uh, the Melvin Gordon addition of this team I really do I think the big area too where it helps in play action wise is in the red zone because you look at some of these guys like Corton Sutton had 124 targets a thousand yards receiving but he only had six touchdowns and I think that's because when you get to the red zone the Broncos didn't really have somebody that you'd worry about pounding it in but Melvin Gordon is a red zone touchdown machine so I think that that draws that extra attention to him more one-on-one coverage with Sutton no, I agree completely. I, I, this is, again, another instance where I think everyone around should, should kind of see a general uptick in production. I think the offense is just going to be naturally better. And, and obviously the addition of Melvin Gordon, you know, is, is going to be huge. So, yeah, I, I agree completely. Gordon Sutton is also a player who's rising so fast right now and, and is really a, a tremendous player. So I, I, think, I think it should be a good year for that whole offense. Dan, where in the first round of the Broncos pick again? I think it's 15. Yeah, it's directly behind the Buccaneers at 15. So you think for sure they go receiver then? I mean, not for sure. So so they could all be gone, theoretically. I mean, in my current mock draft, they're all gone by the time Denver picks. So because since, since San Francisco jumped up, I think they're in play for wide receivers. So you've got the Jets, the Raiders, the Niners all in play right there, right at 11, 12, 13 for receivers. You know, I don't have them getting one at this time. Okay, and that last on our fantasy impact, another running back, we've got Todd Gurley. We touched on him signing with the Falcons, but, you know, let's talk about how this, you know, helps out guys like Calvin Ridley and, and Julio Jones, Matt Ryan. I, I think, you know, I for sure questioned his stability and how much he actually has left in him. But, I mean, going to a team like Atlanta that is stacking up guys that were drafted in the first round along that, you know, along that team, I'm curious to see how he fits. Um, it kind of reminds me of when they got Steven Jackson from the Rams. Um, I know that Steven Jackson was certainly older, but I, I don't think that he's going to help that team. I just think of Matt Ryan being a thrower, and they've continued to add receivers to that team as well. I actually think Todd Gurley is going to benefit greatly in that offense. You know, if you look back at prior prior running backs in that scheme, they really benefit. You know, they, they really throw the ball a lot to their running backs. Devontae Freeman got 70 targets last year and I think 56 catches. I mean, you you put a better pass catching back in Todd Gurley in that offense. And I actually think he excels there. And I don't think they run the ball with him as much. 
I think they use him more in the passing game there, but he may see a downtick in rushing production, but where he'll see an uptick is in, in that passing game for sure. Yeah, I think the biggest beneficiary of the whole Falcons situation, and I don't know if Gurley really affects this, it does in a way because I mentioned how play-action passes help the tight end, but Hayden Hurst going to the Falcons, Last year, they targeted Austin Hooper 97 times. Comparison, Hayden Hurst was targeted 39 times in Baltimore. So I think the combination of going to Atlanta, who values that tight end position, the addition of Gurley, who's going to add to that play action, I wouldn't be surprised to see Hayden Hurst double the numbers he put up last year. Yeah, a lot of tight ends are going to see a lot of uptick this year. I, I think that they proved to be a quarterback's best friend. So we're going to see benefits to the tight end and um, certainly the running back position here in Atlanta. Last part of our show here, I really want to do what we call the FBAS 5, which is where we're each going to have a list of five blank. And this was something that was brought to our attention by some of the FBAS members. Like, hey, do a list, do a top 10 list. I think top 10 would just be way too time-consuming, no matter what the category was. So I thought top five with three of us, it works out perfectly. And since my expertise tends to be more basketball, NBA-related, I said, let's do the top five biggest NBA draft busts and uh, I got some doozies here uh, I got some you know reasoning for it but Jesse said he has some good ones Dan has some good ones so I don't know who wants to go first on uh, the top their top five so I'll go ahead and start and I'll uh, you want me to go ahead and just I'll run through my list we'll uh, pick it apart and then go to the next person go for it all right so let's do that so I'm going to start with number five here and I've got everybody knows him I think you know based on who was drafted after him but I've got Sam Bowie got the center out of Kentucky. He was drafted first overall in 1984. Um, second. Second overall. Hakeem Olajuwon was first. True statement. Yeah, it does make sense, yeah. Hakeem the dream. So after Hakeem and after Bowie went, um, a, a little-known guy named Michael Jeffrey Jordan, also the round mound of rebound in Charles Barkley, and uh, John Stockton. So some for sure Hall of Famers after Sam Bowie. So that's my number five. Number four, I have got... Kwame Brown. We had uh, Michael Jordan uh, making his first pick as a member of the front office for the Washington Wizards and took the, the first, I guess, new wave player out of high school. We certainly had players come out of high school in the past, but this was a guy who was publicized as you know being jumping right out of high school. He was the first ever number one pick out of high school. Okay, so that that's where you know that news comes in because I, I knew he wasn't the first high school player. You know, we had guys like Garnett and Kobe, you know, to name a couple. But in this specific draft with Kwame Brown, after him, we saw guys who I I think will be, you know, certainly Hall of Famers in the NBA. Maybe the second guy more borderline, but Pau Gasol and Joe Johnson. So I think that Kwame Brown ends up being my, my first guy. I don't think he ever ended up fitting anywhere, and it wasn't due to injuries. Uh, my number three. Robert Tractor Trailer, a guy taken out of Michigan, uh, drafted sixth overall in 1998, taken over Dirk and Paul Pierce. Here um, in the Boston region, I know a ton of you will uh, know and love Paul Pierce. A lot of you in FBAS seem to bleed green, which is weird. And then Dirk is certainly a Hall of Famer, one of the best international players of all time. RIP to Robert Tractor Trailer, but uh, that was my number three. Number two, we brought him up. Funny that I have him here at number two because he was drafted second overall. Darko Milicic. He's an international player drafted out of Serbia in 2003. And uh, he was drafted over such folks as Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. And first, last but not least, I have Hashim Thabit. He is the center out of UConn. He was drafted second overall in 2009 over all-timers like James Harden and Steph Curry. 
I mean, my feedback, Kwame Brown, I, I disagree. Um, I do think he's somewhat of a bust, but again, you have to look at, you know, he was the number one overall pick. He was projected to go in the top three. The other two top three picks were also high school players, and that's Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler. So it's really not like you would have gotten a superstar if you hadn't taken Kwame Brown. And he had a decent career. I mean, for me, my favorite Kwame Brown moment, because I am a Lakers fan, is Kwame Brown being traded for Pau Gasol. I mean, that's just the greatest trade ever. So I love Kwame Brown. Thank you for being traded for Pau Gasol. My favorite Kwame Brown moment is Stephen A. Smith. Just, Kwame Brown! <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't really knock it because I have Kwame Brown on my list too. So at number five, I have Darko. Again, I don't know if he's that much of a bust other than the people that were he was taken over. You know, like you mentioned, Dwayne Wade's, the Carmelo Anthony's. His career wasn't awful, but it was pretty bad. Uh, I have Kwame Brown at four. Again, I just, I mean, the, the way this guy was hyped, I remember it coming out. He was just supposed to be that dude. He was supposed to be that next guy. And yes, that draft wasn't loaded, but I mean, I still feel like he should have produced a little more than he did. My next one was actually Adam Morrison, another guy who, I don't know, I remember when he came out, I loved this game. I, I really did. I fell for the Adam Morrison hype. I thought he was going to be a good ball player. He went third overall. The, the draft wasn't crazy. You know, Brandon Roy came out of that draft, and, and so did Rudy Gay. And, you know, but I, I, again, I don't know if anybody should have been taken over Adam Morrison. It was more he just, after that ACL, he was never the same guy. I have Hashim Tabit at number two overall as the worst one. I just can't believe he was taking over Kevin Durant. I remember Hashim Tabit coming out, and I thought he had a ton of talent, but it just didn't make sense to me. And then my worst draft pick of all time was Greg Oden. Again, the whole, how did you take this guy over Kevin Durant? I remember the hype leading up to it. Greg Oden was just that dude, and you know, a lot of people thought he was going to be great. The guy just can't walk because he's so damn big and so damn young. But I don't know, the blunder of taking him over Kevin Durant has to just haunt Portland every single day. So I went with more kind of recent things just because that's how recent I've been following the NBA draft. I know a lot of people were taken in, in earlier drafts that I didn't touch on, but for me personally, those are some of the ones that I just have were in awe over. Yeah, I'll say that uh, Thabit was actually the second overall pick. He went behind Blake Griffin, so it was a different draft than Durant. The Odin Durant, Durant went too. But I did like the beat coming out of college, uh, watching him play. I actually liked him over Blake Griffin because watching him, he was triple teamed every time he got the ball. He's seven foot four, and he just looked fundamentally sound. He knew how to use his body, kind of like Michael Sweetney. If you guys remember, not Michael Sweetney. He got big and fat. Um, the the guy, Jesus, from Ohio State that the Celtics had. Uh, anyways, Jared. Uh... No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, Jared Sollinger. Yeah, Jared Sollinger. And I misspoke. It, it was James Harden. I, I misspoke. It wasn't Kevin Durant. They were on the same. It was James Harden. He was taking over. That's my bad. Yeah, but still. Oh, yeah. So, again, just guy who looked like looked like he was going to be a star. Wasn't. So, the beat's a good pick. I didn't have him on mine. That's that's a really good one that I didn't think of. On my list, I actually I started off with, I said, here's four names you're not going to hear on my list. That's how I started it. The four names you're not going to hear. Sam Bowie. Because the guy played 500 games. He averaged 11 points and 7 rebounds for his career. That's a good damn career. Darko Milicic. He played 468 games in the NBA. He had a nice long career. It isn't like he played two years and burned out. You never heard from him again. He just was misused in Detroit. He averaged like a point a game there. He got moved to Minnesota. He did okay there. But I don't think he's a bust just because he was taken ahead of some Hall of Famers. Michael Oluwakandi. Again, 500 games in a weak draft. 
nothing really there. Christian Leitner is another one that like people who hate Duke will throw out. Like, oh, Leitner was a third overall pick. I'm like, Leitner played 868 games and averaged 13 points a game for his career. That's a good career. So those are guys that you're not going to hear. Honorable mentions, I did have Nikolai Skidishvili, who was drafted number five overall by the Denver Nuggets and only played uh, 172 games in his career. He averaged three points per game. So huge, huge whiff there. Patrick O'Brien was drafted ninth overall by the Warriors. And I don't know why, because this is a guy that averaged 13 points per game at Bradley and then was a top 10 pick in the NBA, and he played 90 games and burned out. And then the third honorable mention, I had Jay Williams, who I loved at Duke. I had a Duke number 22 jersey I used to wear when I played basketball. I got into a motorcycle accident and couldn't really play after that. That's kind of where I'm going to go with this list. To me, a bust is a guy who you draft and you don't get any sort of anything out of him. Not a guy who underperforms, but a guy who just, you don't get your value. And so for me, number five, Adam Morrison, I thought that was a great one. Number three overall pick. Now this is a guy in college, was up for player of the year with J.J. Redick, and everybody was like, Redick sucks, Adam Morrison's the real deal. Well now J.J. Redick's still playing, and he's still lighting up from downtown, and Adam Morrison is, I don't know, still rocking the stash probably somewhere. <laughs> I guess I have, you know, Morrison and Fredette in that same category of not bust, but guys that just they clearly had it in college and didn't in the NBA. Um, I think Fredette and Morrison are those two guys that, you know, they put up such crazy numbers, maybe because of their circumstances and their situation and where they played in college, but they had it in college and just couldn't and do, couldn't do it at all in the NBA. We've seen Jimmer try and do it internationally. Jesse hates Mormons, in case any of you guys are Mormons, so that's why he's saying this. I can't keep one wife. I don't want you guys having multiple wives, people out there. But no, they're two different players in the sense that Adam Morrison got hurt. He had the ACL. He never quite was the same player after that. He did average 11 points per game his rookie year. Jimmer Fredette, on the other hand, is a guy who couldn't play defense, which is why he didn't hang around the NBA. He went over to China. He averaged 70 points a game or some insane 2K number. But that's uh, he couldn't play defense. They brought him over here again, and he couldn't do anything. So I had Adam Morrison was fifth. Four, I have LaRue Martin, 1972, number one overall pick. He only played four seasons, and he averaged 14 minutes a game. So really not getting your money's worth with that pick. Greg Oden at number three, because again, 105 games, number one overall pick. Number two, Anthony Bennett, who, I'll tell you something, Anthony Bennett looked like a beast at UNLV. And then he came out, he's a number one overall pick. He only played 151 minutes in his career. So total waste there. And then my number one biggest bust in NBA history, absolute bust, played zero minutes after being the second overall pick, Len Bias. <laughs> You've got no heart. <laughs> that is the definition of a wasted pick. Wow, wow, big fan of snow. Yeah, I mean, uh, Len Bias and that party he had um, never got to actually play with Larry Bird. So uh, taking shots at you know this green team nation here, I'm sure they would have loved to see that um, bridge or transition. Yeah, so those are our top. Five. Any other issues with uh, my top five? Um, I mean, I think you, you seem to put stock into longevity, which is certainly nice. You know, if you're a, an Emmett Smith or Larry Fitzgerald fan, um, longevity is nice. But I look at the players that you whiffed on, the players that certainly impacted the college game in a much bigger way than um, the players that, you know, myself or some, you know, Dan had. And I go straight to Sam Bowie. I mean, you didn't want him on your list, but... You know, you, you look at the guys that went after him, and you have to put them on there. And then Kwame Brown, I, I'm, I'm questioning, do we and maybe some others have him on there, not just because of where he was drafted and, you know, how little impact he made compared to his hype, but based on who drafted him? 
that's Michael Jordan's biggest flop as a front office, you know, guy there is taking Kwame Brown with the Wizards. Do we do we put stock in, into the bust category based on who took him? I don't because I think Michael Jordan made a lot of bad decisions in the front office. He was a horrible, horrible personnel person. He traded Richard Hamilton for Jerry Stackhouse. And obviously as a Pistons fan, you benefited from that trade. But he just made bad decision after bad decision, so I don't really care. I don't hold that against Kwame Brown. That's against Michael Jordan and his bad decision-making. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Kwame, I have him on there just because the hype was so great, and he just didn't pan out. I, I couldn't have Anthony Bennett on the list just because, I, I mean, that draft was so poor. Like, Victor Oladipo went second. Like, nobody's excited about that. Like, he's a good player, don't get me wrong, but nobody's Otto Porter went third. You know, it just wasn't a very kind of exciting draft. You know, Anthony Bennett just kind of lucked into the first pick, I think. But, so I don't know if I consider that a bust as more of just a shitty situation uh, uh but you know he was a terrible player so i can't really argue there but no i don't have i don't have an issue with the list you know it's pretty much got a lot of the standard guys on it um yeah now i understand uh, there's a, a wager that's being offered here <laughs> so i have a take that i want to lay on both of you as new england fans and would love to get you guys opinion on it I think the over-under of the New England Patriots win total will be six and a half games. You think that's what Vegas is going to come out with, or you're calling six and a half as the over-under? I'm I'm calling you guys will get less than six and a half wins. Oh, because I have the over-under ten and a half, so I'm definitely taking the over. Oh, okay. Tight, tight, tight. I'm taking the over. I'm not going to go as far as 10. I'll meet you guys in the middle and go with 8. I think at worst, Bill Belichick and and this offense are going to be a 500 team. I don't see any way um, that this team is less than that. I think that with better receiving options and Matt Castle, we saw this team go 11-5. and I know I say this team, but you know the franchise. Of course, all the personnel has changed since that happened, but I just see no way that Belichick goes worse than eight and eight and of course i've got a kool-aid mustache right now but um, i think six is is crazy um and i'm just i'm wondering if maybe your tom brady bucks jersey is no, on no, too no. tight I, I just don't see i think the the patriots dynasty is is not over but i think it's in for a downswing this year even with the much how much i, I actually like jared stidham i don't think there is enough around total on that defense and offense in general for that team to be a a winning ball club this year honestly i would not be shocked if they go six and ten i'm predicting them to go six and ten and if you guys would like the over we can wager whatever you gentlemen would like to wager on said bet I, i'll take any sort of wager on that we'll have to think of something. maybe maybe we'll put it up to an fbas vote what we wager for this week yeah, I'll definitely do that because I think six is way too low. I do have them going eleven and five and winning the AFC East, uh, so being the division champs again. I mean, honestly, I think they have a better team now than they did back when Bill had Matt Castle. You have to remember Matt Castle didn't start a single collegiate football game and didn't start a single pro football game until Tom Brady got hurt and he went eleven and five. So I think Jared Stidham is going to go eleven and five as well, and I think that the Buffalo Bills probably get the wild card but the Patriots are still going to win the AFC East. I certainly don't forget that Moss and Welker were, was on that 
you know, 2008 Patriots team. So it's not like Matt Castle had nobody's to throw to. But I do think that the Patriots are going to end up second in the division. I don't know if it'll be enough for a wild card, but the Bills are, are going to take the division, in my opinion. I do think that the Jets and the Dolphins are in no way, shape, or form ready to take a step forward or, or a meaningful step forward in the division race. I think the Dolphins um, have a more promising future than the Jets, and that's just based on Adam Gase being a total buffoon. Dolphins go 8-8 eight eight this year, and you guys finish third in that division. I just want to fight. I just I really want to fight right now. <laughs> get, get, used to the, get used to the bottom, boys. Oh, Not as long as Bill Belichick's Get used there. to the bottom, boys. Wayne just almost punched his mic trying to punch you, Dan. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I just really see just a down ticket production until the things are figured out. I just really do. I, I just think you guys are still a couple pieces away. I think your defense is farther away than you're trying to admit or think that it is personally. You know, and I just think that, yeah, you guys are due for, for down ticking wins. So we'll put it up on the FBAS. You know, we'll put the poll up on, on which which person or side they agree with. My take or your guys' take on the over-under. And then we'll try to get a, a poll going on seeing what we can wager here. Yeah, definitely, and we we certainly hope that you enjoyed your last episode of FBAS podcast with Dan. Um, <laughs> hey, man, if if we're out here with hot takes, then that's how we're gonna do it, you know. All right. Well, that's uh, again. If you listen to the podcast, definitely like it on any format that you listen to it on. Uh, give it five stars on Apple. I think does that kind of rating. I think Google's different, and then I think Stitcher's different. I don't know. However you listen, rate it however it is. Check out FBAS. Join the FBAS. There's all kinds of conversations like this going on every day on there. You get to debate with us celebrities live, and usually, I mean, there's a waiting list to debate with me, but these guys are always available. So definitely uh, sign up. We'd love to see you. And Dan, what's Kenny Smith say? Wait, what? What? What did you just say? I, I live, now we're breaking up. Hold on, hold on one sec. Okay, here we go. Now we're good. Okay, I got you now. Uh, I was checking to see if you wanted to throw it to Kenny. Oh, yeah, sure. What do I say? Whatever you want. Kenny, Kenny's coming on after you. Oh, Kenny's coming on after me? All right. All right, bye, everybody. Have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs>